things are, you know, we, the, where they had identified some uh, spots, they, they're gone. And, and so uh, he finished one of his chemo treatments, has another one. The next one will be April 10th. Uh, but it's, you know, it's been a long, long battle. And they obviously need to continue. Uh, we need to continue in prayer for them. April Smith needs our prayers. Uh, she starts this Thursday uh, her series of cream. And now she's got a heart valve issue. So there's so many different things. Uh, but the Smith family needs to be in our prayers. And uh, uh, so obviously well, we've got much, to, uh, we've got much to, to pray about. So uh, we're going to have uh, Lorna. Lorna, where are you? Lorna? Pelton and uh, Allison are going to lead us in scripture and prayer. So please stand for the reading of uh, God's word and our opening prayer this morning. Yeah, they need it. Yeah, we need it. I'm going to be reading from the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, but whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Lorna? First off, I'd like to share something with you that was over in the foyer there in the fellowship area because I think it's so good. When it says, live every moment, love beyond words, and laugh every day. Because laughing and a smile shared usually returns a smile back. And that is such a blessing. As far as our prayer is concerned today, I would first like to say that uh, we need to give thanks to all of our church family in prayer, be with those who physically need healing, be with those who have heavy hearts and need healing there, and we want to always give thanks for all the blessings that you bestow upon us. And one closing prayer that I'd like to share. May the trails rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and the snow fall soft upon the plains around you. Until we meet again in this Christian family, may God always hold you in the hollow of his hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Cassandra, come here. So, uh, how old are you now? Fifteen. When did you turn fifteen? Yesterday. Yesterday. She doesn't like to be uh, put on the spot, so we're not doing that. You know, we just because we love her, and uh, she's such a blessing to so many, and she's turning red. <laughs> she's. Good. I love one of the things I noticed about Cassandra right away. She's her eyes tell the story. Boy, she's good. You know, and yeah, so you love me, and I love you, but we're going to sing happy birthday to you, and Mark's a much better, anybody else, we got a March birthday? 
Did you get up, stand up. Oh, Stacy, yeah, Stacy, stand up. Melanie, where's Melanie? Where is she? Melanie, stand up. In fact, I just think since we've got all these wonderful, beautiful, come on forward, come on. I want all of you, yeah, you just come on forward. We're gonna do it, yeah, come on. I just love it. Look at it, beautiful women. Now, Melanie, Hannah, come here, Shelby, sit right here, look here. Oh, we got them short and everything, short, tall. That's good. That's right, it's your birthday. You're, she's 15, what are you, uh, 50, 59, right? So, no, something like that. I don't know. This is wonderful. Mark, would you lead us in happy birthday? Oh, we got one more. It's low. Yeah. No men were born in March? Hello. Oh, oh, yeah, well, he was hiding. He was hiding. That's good. That's awesome. I, just, I was picking on you, Cassandra, and then I got all these wonderful, Stacy's happy right now. Look at her. She got, the, uh, she got those eyes, too. So, yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> Mark, would you lead us? Day to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday everybody, <laughs> happy birthday to you, amen, y'all be seated. <laughs> Stacy, was that a look of love? Is that what that was? I felt it, sister. I felt the love. I did. There you go. Uh, praise God. Uh, if, did you, uh, I was handing him out this morning, a uh, sermon handout. If you did not get one, raise your hand, please. And so, Braden, uh, when people have their hands raised, go give them one of these, please. So who, yeah. So the kids heard a uh, noise coming down the hall this morning, and I said, who is that? And Cassandra said, uh, they knew who it was. <laughs> they said, because she jingles. I thought, well, that is so cool. They knew Regina. She goes, that's Regina. I said, how do you know that? Because she jingles. Everybody got one. She's the jingle lady. So it is good to be here this morning, and uh, the Lord has given us a beautiful day. Uh, this is our discipleship uh, lesson number two, but it's part four. And so open your Bibles to Matthew chapter four, the gospel of Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. I'm going to begin reading. In verse 18, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18, and walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And, and they immediately left of the nets and followed him. We've been in this passage and uh, for several weeks now. This handout, uh, just as a way of quick recap, uh, I went ahead, Allison went ahead and printed the verses out so you can just reflect on them quickly. Uh, but really, as we began this second uh, lesson, the very first 
thing that we learn about a disciple, a follower of Christ, is that God chooses. There's the verses there. Very clear. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Very clearly. John 15, 16. Uh, who does he choose? He chooses the weak, the foolish, the debased, the despised, the things that are not, so that no one can exalt themselves. No one. Uh, he, he makes or he equips us, he makes us, and I focused on that Greek word, katipso, which means that God alone, only God, can make something from where there's nothing. Only God can do that. You can't do it, I can't do it. We have to, anything that we make is from something, but God alone. And so he makes us, and how does he do that? These great verses on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God begins uh, our journey with him after he has chosen us. Uh, he, he gives us his Holy Spirit. That, uh, the promises are in John 14 and chapter 14, 16. Uh, uh, we see the actual the reality of that in this, uh, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Um, but if you focus on Romans chapter 5, verse 5 through 6 on this handout, it says, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out, poured out uh, within our hearts. It says without, it says within, we've got a typo there, uh, Allison. Within our hearts, uh, through the Holy Spirit, well, I was supposed to proof it, so it's not your fault. Uh, within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit, the love of God has been, yes, ma'am. Oh, the love of God has uh, been poured out um, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Uh, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The scripture reading this morning uh, that we read that uh, uh, Titus 3, verse 4 through 6. I want to revisit again. But when the kindness of God our Savior, uh, His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. And that mirrors Paul's statement in Ephesians chapter 2. But according to His mercy... By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I mentioned last week that passage in Ephesians 4. God chooses us. He equips us. He pours the Holy Spirit into our heart, not on the basis of anything that we've done, just simply on the love that he has for us through Jesus Christ. And then the other thing is then, so the reality, the warning is, can you and I grieve the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. You and I can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I have to think, if, if I wanted to really examine myself in light of my walk with God, you know, this, that's a, a place in Scripture that I look emphatically at. And I, the lesson rings out very clearly. God has saved me. He, he saved me. He and he alone saw something in me that would be worth saving. And because of his great love and his mercy, um, he saved me. He gave me his Holy Spirit. And so now I'm living as a saved Christian disciple, follower of Christ, with the indwelling, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the, and, and the thing that I think for me personally is the most difficult is understanding the thing that convicts me the most is that I can grieve that Holy Spirit. You know, I don't want to, I, I look at my dad, he's 85 years old right now, and 
and I see the dynamics of things that are taking place in his life and the struggles that he's having. And uh, I just know one thing, I love my dad. I just love him. And, and the older I got, have got I, I love him more. When I was this age, I loved my mom and dad. And I loved my, I, you know, I loved them. Of course, why wouldn't I love them? But I think as you get older and, you know, you experience life. Uh, and then as a Christian, and I think the things that we know about being a Christian, that God is love and, and all the sacrifices and the mercies of God and his rich grace, and we start to see our life in light of that. And then, so now, you know, I, 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 I got my dad, and he's getting a little frail, and, 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 and I look at him. I don't want to do anything that would grieve my father. I know the last thing he needs in his life right now is grief from his children. I know that. Now, that's just a physical. That's here. I don't want to do anything that would grieve my father. I don't want to do anything that would grieve Tammy. I, you know, I do. And I'm not being silly about that. I, but I do. But I don't want to. But now I magnify that. You know, grieving the Holy Spirit. So we can indeed grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he equips us through the word of God. He chooses us, he makes us, he equips us through the giving of his Holy Spirit and then through his word. There's, if, you, if you say, okay, how does somebody build something up? How does someone, you could talk about that in any terms, whether it was a business, a business, anything. You could talk about that in a sporting venue. You could talk about that. The Bible and Christians, there's only two ways. There's two ways that God makes a disciple, forms something where there is nothing that he alone can do, and that is through the giving of his Holy Spirit, choosing us according to his will, not our will, and then through his word. That's it. That's it. And so, uh, just a few passages here, but 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all of it. Now, when Paul said this, church, I want you to hear this. Paul wasn't talking about the New Testament that time. There's no way he could have been. Is the New Testament included in that? But this is to make a point here in just a minute. We had a tremendous men's breakfast yesterday, and uh, it was really good. Matt Ward taught the lesson there, and I want to reflect on something that he said as he was talking and teaching us in the devotional about the story of David and Goliath. But, but I want you to consider this. All Scripture is God-inspired, inspired by God, and profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. To equip the person of God to do righteous things. So there's just the one verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So he equips us. But you know, I go back to that I loved at some point, and he tells the story of David and Goliath in our breakfast yesterday morning, and he said, it's somebody I think you said it was Tim Kelly? Was that the individual? Yeah, who, who had at some point in his life said that if you, anywhere in Scripture, anywhere in Scripture, if you can't connect it and see the gospel in it, you've missed the point. 
So you could read the story of Goliath or any scripture, and you could say, well, maybe he's talking about this, or maybe he's talking about that, or maybe there's a lesson to be learned here. And the reality, the real lesson is, is that every word, first word to Genesis, last word to Revelation, and Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's not a place I believe that you can go into scripture where you can't identify the truth, whether it's the book of Leviticus, Ezekiel, anything. Dan, it doesn't matter where you can identify, you can identify the gospel of Jesus Christ. What God has done, is doing, what he was going to do, has done, and is doing through his son. And, and it just, it's so true. So when you start to read scripture, because the difference, what was the difference in the apostle Paul? before the road to Damascus and after the road to Damascus. So if you know the story, he was a persecutor of the church. I mean, he, if, you, if you read his testimony in Philippians chapter 3, he said, man, I was born from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew as to the word of God without flaw. He said, but I counted all rubbish. I counted all rubbish. Because my knowledge, there's the only thing I want to know. I want to know Jesus Christ and sharing the power of his suffering and know the, 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 the resurrection, the glory of the resurrection. So the difference between Paul at age whatever it was, he had to be at least 35 years old, persecutor of the church. He would have memorized Genesis through Malachi in three different languages. He would have. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why hast thou persecuted me? And we see the great conversion story. God saves him, chooses him, equips him, but he has to go back. He, if you read the story, Paul had to go relearn the scripture. Now, church, I want to say something to you. God chooses us. He equips us through the giving of the Holy Spirit and through his word. Now, you can see the word the way you want to see it. You can avoid the word. You can ignore the word. You can learn parts of the word. Or you can know the word in light of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And all of a sudden, interpretation, understanding magnifies. Not about you. It's not about me. Not about your feelings. Not about my feelings. It's about God and him glorified and the purpose that he has for us. So we have that. And then so... so this third point, it says, God through the Holy Spirit and his word moves us to be with him. I love this verse. I just picked out this one, Mark 3, 14. And he appointed the 12 that they might be with him, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. I think that if, you, if you're in any point in your life or any struggle in your life, I think you could measure it by one standard. I really do. You're confused. You're not sure. I think you could just clear it up by one standard. Am I with him? Is at this moment, am I with him? Is my decision-making process, is it his or mine? Is it asking him to be with me or me being with him? And there's a difference. Our flesh doesn't want you or I to be with God. We want him to be with us. You follow me. Uh, 
But I can, at any conflict, at any point in my life, I could step back and I could say, Aubrey, was your mind, your heart, your spirit, physically, were you with him? Were you with him? Are you asking him to be with you, or were you just completely ignoring him? Well, that's kind of the categories of our life, isn't it? And so to be with him. And now this morning, very quickly, he equips us, chooses us, fills us with the Holy Spirit, calls us to be with him, uh, teaches us through his word. Uh, And this morning, I don't believe, I never believe in coincidence. uh, One of the hymns who says, what is that hymn, Mark said, not my, my will, but thine, you know, that the hymn in that verse. Um, so this God calls us, chooses us, equips us to be with him and to pray to him and through him. I'm going to just share some points here. Uh, I put these verses down. Uh, This first one is is pretty simple. It's the one we know, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the Lord's Supper. I'm going to begin just there in verse 7. It it says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they'll be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Your Father knows what you need. And uh, before you ask him, pray then in this way. I would just, we're not going to do the whole thing. I want you, because I know you know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Do you believe that? And we're going to really examine prayer. Really examine it. I can think back on the times in my life. You can probably think of the times in your life where you're really led to pray. Maybe you can recall what those prayers look like. Many times we just pray out to God in desperation. A lot of times when things are going really well for us, God's an afterthought. I'm guilty of that. Um, And we pray. But if we're really going to talk about God choosing us, equipping us, the Holy Spirit and his word, being with him, there's, you cannot, it, there's no way to disconnect that, that making process, God making alone, making something where nothing is, to, to fully understand now, fully understand. I asked the kids this morning, I said, look, I want you to ask me a question. So, you know, if, if God says, right here, he says, um, you know, don't be like them, the Gentiles. They speak, there's many, but your father knows what you need before you ask him. I, and these kids, once again, the inside is incredible. So I said to him, uh, so if, uh, could you imagine, so if he already knows before you ask him, I said, now I want you to put yourself in a scenario. I said, I used Corey Cotton and Mark and Shelly Stasny, the kids that we had in there, Kevin Brinks. I said, so could you imagine that, there, and parents, you'll understand this. Could you imagine in your life, you, you, you're a parent, and you know what your children need. You know. You know what they need. But you want them to come to you and voice that need. I, I don't know if you've done that. I know, I know what they need. 
And before I provide it, and before I, you know, act on that, I want them, to, I want them, why would you do that? Why would a parent do that? Now, their insight was outstanding. And one of them said, well, you know, probably it develops trust. You know, one of the things that is so impactful, important, is that God desires, he already knows what you need, and he knows what I need. He wants your need and his need and our need to be completely aligned. And, and, and in order for that to take place, as he has chosen us, given us his spirit, we're walking with him, there has got to be a communicative relationship where we go to him. He knows. I love what Jesus says on the Sermon of the Mount as well. He said, you being good fathers, you, you being fathers, your fathers, you, you know how to give good gifts to your children, but you, you and I are wicked. We're wicked, and we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more the Father in heaven? And so for you as a church, and you and I li living and, and discipling and moving forward, and, and, and you trying to understand, and I trying to understand, we're working together, it's important that you and I, in the very foundational premise, understand this, that God already knows it's important, and I don't know how you see prayer, but it is important for you to go to your Father with your needs. He knows what they are. And then it's based upon the fact, this is it. This is the making of a disciple. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what the, the biggest revelation of the darkness of this world is? The biggest revelation. You say, you might, you may not, but I just believe this. You can go back to the very first commandment in Exodus 20. The very first one. We, you know, God called us to worship and worship him alone. There's no other God. The biggest indicator of darkness in this world is how we hallow names. We glorify names that are not the name of Jesus Christ. They're not the name that is above every other name. They're not the name that at every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There's not, we sing a hymn, there's power in his blood. There's power in his name. There's power in the name of Jesus. But we will, we will hallow names. We will hallow the names of great individuals, men and women, and, and, and we'll even hallow the name of, of preachers. Paul had to deal with that with the Corinthians. Some say I'm of Apollos, and some say I'm of Peter, and I, some say that I'm, you know, of Paul. And he said, no, 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 no. Movie stars, athletes. You know, I just think of some, and they do the one name, Bill, and I'm not being critical of any of these men, but I want you to hear it, Pele. You know, I get Muhammad Ali, they call him the greatest, Elvis, the king of rock, just one name. Not criticizing Marilyn Monroe, you could just go, we hallow names, we associate names, and we give glory to them. I don't believe that we can ever walk with God. I don't believe it, church. Until we fully understand there's only one name to be hallowed. And it's not your name. And it's not my name. And it's not the name of any person. It's just the name of God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You see him in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. 
He's praying. He's deeply grieved. So then he said to them, he's about to be arrested. The Son of God, about to be arrested. The Son of God. I don't know the darkest moment you've had in your life. I, I don't know. You've probably had many. Where you're grieved. And probably rightfully so. And maybe, maybe, maybe your grief comes, maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe you, what you're grieving is your own ineptitude, your own sin, your own failing. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something you have no control over. Maybe it's the loss of something. Maybe it's just an impending disease. I, I don't know. I mean, whatever you grieve for, we have the scripture says the things that are all common to men. But I will tell you, I cannot in my life, in all of my experience, if I understand the hallowed name of God, I cannot imagine. I have grieved in my life. I have certainly grieved the Holy Spirit. But I have intentionally tried to measure the grief that Jesus felt on the night uh, of his betrayal. I, I cannot measure it. As I understand the holiness of God, the hallowing of his name, who he, who he, who he is, who he was, and who he is. His name is I am. Not I was or I'm going to be. It's I am. He lives in the presence. He's out of the past and he controls the future. He's holy. He's merciful. He's, he's loving in a way that I've never seen, experienced, or known in myself or any other living being. And he became sin. And he was grieved on the night of his betrayal. He was grieved. God in the flesh. It says, he was deeply, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed. Church, I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to just say this. I try, I listen. Tammy and I have had this discussion recently. I listen to, I, I Continually, I listen to other preachers just to listen. Now, I'm going to give you my take on other preachers. First of all, I think it's ungodly to criticize them. I do, based upon Scripture. Not what I say, but based upon Scripture. You know, it's so easy to say, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. By the way, you better be real careful. You and I better be real careful. Oh, we better be careful. You don't have to be careful. You can live your Christian life any callous way you want, flippantly and Self-righteously, you certainly can. He allows us that. But the scripture is very clear about making an accusation that God, in a, it really is. Don't, it's right here. And so, you know, Paul talks about preachers. Philippians chapter one. There's people that preach for financial gain. There really are. He said, you know, there's people that preach for financial gain. He said, leave them alone. Now, if I'm wrong about that, and if the word of God is wrong about that, you come correct me on it, please. Now, I could just start there. 
I can give you reference uh, close to two, do two dozen places in Scripture. But I listen. I listen. Uh, I, I just listen. I listen to a wide range of people. And, and, and I know what Scripture says. He talks about, you know, there's going to be a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. And in fact, they'll gather for them. They want teachers that tickle their ears. Okay. The premise of Scripture and, and, and the foundation of Scripture is that God is going to be glorified. He's going to be glorified through the tongues of wicked and evil men and women. He is. It, Jesus said, hey, I can make the stones rise up and praise me. I can create descendants of Abraham from the stones. The creation glorifies God, even though man does it. But you begin to look at this moment in the life of Jesus. He said he went and he fell on his face and prayed. I want to ask you something. When's the last time, and I mean this, this is a challenge to you, church. We walk around many times. Preachers are guilty of this and our piousness and our whatever it is we think we are. And we're guilty. I'm not saying this is an indictment against you. I put myself in that. But when is the last time, Aubrey, when is the last time you went to a place and you fell on your face? You fell on your face. And prayed. I don't believe it's a daily occurrence. But I believe this moment should just resonate to us. I mean, when we, if we really say, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower, I'm a Christian. I chose God. No, you didn't. No disciple would ever say, I chose. You could, it's not biblical. You say, I'm a disciple. He has chosen me. I've not made myself. There's nothing in me that could make myself. But God is making. He's, he's creating something in me where there was nothing. He gave me his Holy Spirit. He's given me the gift of his word. I know that I can grieve that Holy Spirit. This is the condition I should live under. Not proudly complaining, being divisive. And we ought to be led to that point where we say, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. And I, church, would recommend that there be a time in your life. They should be more than fewer. Where you find a place and you fall on your face. Literally, you fall on your face. Do you know what that meant? I want you to fully understand what this meant, church. For a man or a woman, I'm going to tell you what, you'd have a healthy church if the men and women in this church were falling on their face because you know what it says? Do you know what it meant? Don't miss the significance. If you were a Jew 2,000 years ago, and we, talk, we walk around and with our opinions and our piety and our whatever it is, and we believe we're operating in the, the Word of God, Romans 10 and 1, Paul says, I pray for the Jews, boy, I'll tell you, and I believe he fell on his face and he prayed for them. Because they have a passion for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. That has been a 2,000-year cancer in the church. Bible quoting, church going, self-righteous people who have a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. 
Paul was one of those guys when he was a Pharisee. Then he met Jesus. But to the Jew, to fall on your face was an act of total and complete humiliation. Humiliation. The son of all, the son of God, the son of man, who, who, by the way, did he have the right to, uh, so you and I, we make all kinds of false accusations. We even believe they're true. We run our mouths. We just do. It's what the flesh desires. It's what Satan advocates. Is there anything that ever left the lips of Jesus that you or anyone or any, any could accuse of being wrong? Could you? Have to, well, he just didn't know what he was talking about. Well, you know, because they were doing that, by the way. But I want you to consider something for a minute. The Son of God, so deeply grieved, would fall on his face, humbling himself. An act of such attrition. You want to fix something in your life? You want to fix something in, in your marriage? You want to fix something in a church? Fall on your face and pray. And don't go tell somebody about it. Fall on your face and pray, church. The Son of God would speak to God. And this is what came out of his mouth. He said, Father, not my will, but yours. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I'll answer you and I'll give you and, and I'll tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Let me tell you something, church. Because you have, you have there's preaching everywhere, right? There's just preaching everywhere. And maybe some are preaching for financial gain. Don't know, it's not up to me to judge. Paul said there was, and I believe there is. It's not my business. I don't go to their church. But when you start looking at this right here, he says, now church, so you say this, call to me and I'll answer you and I'll tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now before you get to the, the next verses, you've got to start here. You've got to start as, okay, my prayers are to God, humbly to God, in attrition to God, understanding who he is, asking for his will to be done, hallowing his name, asking for his will, but then church, now this, I've always said, you can pray for anything. You can pray for anything. But I'm going to tell you something. This is before you get to these verses that are following. Call to me and I'll answer you. And I'll tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. 
which do not know. All knowledge comes from God. All knowledge comes from God. There's no knowledge that exists that it hasn't come from God. The knowledge for the atom bomb comes from God. The knowledge of penicillin comes from God. The knowledge of all creation comes from God. It is, and all of it, every bit of it. Now, and Paul would say, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and crucified. Paul would also say that knowledge puffs up, but this knowledge, the knowledge that you don't know, the knowledge that you don't know. Call upon him. But then you go to Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Now, truth. John 14, 6. And I asked these kids this morning, they were so good. I said, finish the verse for me. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the light and the truth. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He stood before Pontius Pilate. You may think you know what is truth. I may think that I know what is truth. Now, the truth and the things that we don't know are connected. And our prayer life to God is connected. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and he, he makes this statement about truth. And Pilate, he says, what's truth? What's truth? Pontius Pilate, we live in a world. That condition that I told you about, that darkness of the world that it is so evident, if we hallow other names. We hallow names. We hallow names that are not the name of God. And, then, and, and when we do that, we're left in a desperate, evil, dark place. We don't know what truth is. The two are connected. This world is lost in its search for truth. And then the, 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 the historic through the millennia is this. There's this message. Well, there's no truth. There's no absolute truth. Why do you think churches today are doing things that are people that say they're Christians are doing things that are an absolute violation of Scripture. Why? Then things that you don't need to be a Bible scholar to interpret. You don't. You don't need somebody to interpret some of the very things that are being done in churches today. And if I'm wrong, you just come to the Word of God and say, okay, Arby, that is not what the Word of God teaches. I'm not going to go through the list. If you want to know, I'll be glad to do it. For time's sake, though, there are churches. And you know what they've done? I had the conversation with a preacher in Caldwell. He called me randomly. He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He said, you know, we're, this is the situation, and this is what was going on. And, and our denomination is split right down the middle. And he said, you know what the, really, the problem is? The infallibility of the Word of God. We're doing things as a denomination and, and in order for us to do them in a direct violation of God's word, you know what you have to do? Can't take it literally. Can't take it literally. I don't know how long the Lord is going to allow me to preach. And he may take my moment this very second. I could. He would. He's certainly capable of it. But I will tell you that I hope that I would never compromise the word of God as long as he allows me to preach. And the word of God is not popular. The word of God is not culturally popular. It is not. The word of God is not <laughs> any powerful cultural message that you can hear today. It is not biblical. Give me any one of them. And when you begin to think about our prayer life, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. What's truth? It's Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And you know, we have fractured the gospel. We have turned Jesus into a mamby-pamby, wimpy, all in We have. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Get to know him in Scripture. Get to know him in prayer. Examine all of his words. Look at the context in which he lived. He was hated by religious people who preached and memorized Scripture. He said harsh things. He never turned his eye away from what sin was. He acted holy in times that it required holiness. He braided a whip and he cleaned the temple out twice. He called men and whitewashed tombs. What he said to that woman from Syrophoenicia in the land of Jezebel was the most, I can't imagine anybody. <laughs> he told her, he quoted, he said, you don't, you, don't, you don't feed the dogs. You don't feed dogs. This woman from the land of Jezebel came, I need you to help me with my daughter. And Jesus said to him, you would call, oh, Jesus? Well, that wasn't very politically correct. But you can have your own little image of Jesus. But if it doesn't include the entirety of his life and what he stood for, the woman that was caught in adultery, he didn't, yeah, who, whatever, one of you, yeah, without sin, you, you cast the first stone. We all like that. He told that woman, you go and you sin no more. We don't hear a lot of preaching on that. I could go on and on. But truth. So, before you can understand these verses, you've got to understand that. It says, you know, I, <laughs> he, he goes, this whole ideal of 1 John 5.15. And, and if we know that he hears us in whatever ask, in whatever way, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. And we've heard preachers say the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. So I'm not going to preach that I'm, I'm done. I just want to make a statement because there are many people that say, uh, you know, God desires for you to have the desires of your heart. That is, yes, he does, as long as your heart is his heart, as long as your truth is his truth, as long as you're with him and not wanting him to be with you. I can assure you God doesn't desire for you to have uh, millions of dollars, a healthy IRA, uh, a, you know, a retirement plan and live to be 100 years old so that you can indulge the desires of your flesh. If you can find that anywhere in Scripture, it's being preached. He's not a puppet up there waiting for your faith and your faith seed to establish something. These passages that, that make that statement, they're always in light of this. And your prayer life will be exactly the made, equipped work of the Holy Spirit of God through his word when they're like this. Oh, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Fall on your face. Know the truth. Know the truth. And then when you call upon him, God's going to reveal things to you that you don't know. I had someone recently say to me that, uh, and this has happened quite often in, in, uh, in ministry. I'm gonna, this will be my last statement this morning, but I want because it all lines up here. 
this happens to me. Now, when I was actively weekly doing prison ministry, it happened almost weekly. In ministry, it's happened. It's already, you know, this month alone, it's happened to me a half a dozen times. But February, March. Or somebody randomly would come to me and say, the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. I was taught, uh, but he said, boy, you better, wave, you better throw a red flag up. Oh, why, why would somebody say that? What, to maybe establish themselves? Look, I'm holy, I don't know. And here's the problem with that. There's two problems. If it doesn't align with this word, it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not. And every occasion that that happened to me recently, the statement did not align with Scripture. Just didn't. But, but what do you do? If somebody says the Holy Spirit's spoken to you, what are you, you going to do? Call him a liar? And then the other part of that is, well, the Holy Spirit didn't speak to me, or the Holy Spirit spoke to me, but he told me something different to you. It's not a spirit of confusion. Now, church, this is all tied together. When you talk about discipleship and becoming a follower of Christ and what God is accomplishing, you'll never have to say the Holy Spirit told me. Find it in Scripture. Come back to me and say, well, Aubrey, and we'll have, I'd love to have that study, and I mean that. But you and I can say, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything else from that is not from God. But you say, boy, the word of God says this. This is what the word of God says. So as we move forward through this study, I want to challenge myself and you as a church that we understand the great gift that God has given us as he's chosen us. And that he is, in fact, equipping and making us. And then we can grieve that Holy Spirit. And that we become a people that hallow his name, desire his will, humble ourselves before him, calling on his name to reveal to us the things we don't know and the truth that comes from him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here this morning. We're a blessed people. And I believe that what your word says, the schemes, the schemes of the devil are that they're real. I believe that he is in fact prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But I believe, Father, that your word is true and as we resist him, he'll flee. I believe the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, Father. Oh, Father. And I believe that victory is in Jesus. Father, we love you so deeply. We do, we love you. And we love you because of your son. And it is in the perfect and holy name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.